Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, if you are visiting us, can I give you uh, a warm welcome as well? It's, it's great to see you. We're a, we're a church that's passionate about Jesus. We're just wanting to pursue Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. We love worshipping him, and I hope you've picked up uh, that uh, this morning. I want to ask you um, a question, and I'd like some of you to actually answer it. This isn't a rhetorical question. What subject do you think Jesus spoke about most uh, when he was here um, on the earth? What, what do you think? Just shout out what you think he spoke about most. Kingdom, what else? Hell, that's an interesting one. Money, love, food. Yeah, well, I was surprised, actually. Here are the top five. Number five was Satan. Number four was money. Number three was faith. Number two was Father God. And first, of course, someone got it over here, was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So we're continuing our series uh, today on the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we looked at the first four Beatitudes And these were part of a larger sermon that Jesus um, taught. It's uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure it's been said before, but how strange it is to preach a sermon on a sermon, particularly a sermon on a sermon from Jesus. He was the greatest preacher to have ever walked on this earth. And a sermon which has been written about so many times. At least 200 books have been written about this sermon alone. These words are the words of Jesus himself, preserved for us in Matthew and Luke's gospel. And they speak to us as they did 2,000 years ago to Jesus' disciples. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, but they are absolutely relevant to you today and to me today. So let's read these. Let's open up our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, and let's open up our hearts as well uh, to these words. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. First, I want to establish clearly in our minds what the Beatitudes are not. They are not a self-help guide on how to bring in the kingdom of God. You know, if you do X, then Y will happen. They're not a manifesto for the church. Jesus here is proclaiming his kingdom and what his kingdom will look like. A kingdom that's evidenced by these attributes. So these Beatitudes are not about how we build the kingdom, but are about a kingdom that we receive. 
we belong to Christ, we are in Christ, then these attributes, these qualities are within us. We live these beatitudes. At Life Group this week, uh, some Mr. Men mugs came out. Do you remember the Mr. Men books? The uh, Mr. Tickle, Mr. Messy, Mr. Nosy, Mr. Grumpy. Well, I was presented with Mr. Marvellous. I'll let you... (laughs) um, But those books were written about particular attributes, one attribute of those different men. It's not like that with us. It's not just one attribute. You're not just Mr. Messy. We have all these attributes. This sermon is about the kingdom that is present that's here and now. Jesus has established his kingdom and we get to live all of these beatitudes. If if you like, they reveal our identity, our new kingdom identity, how we are different in our behaviour, how we are a holy people, how we are able to live differently. Last week we saw that Beatitudes begins, all these Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. And that word blessed means to be happy, to be happy in God. Our English language is, uh, is not very deep in this, in, with this word and it sounds a little bit superficial. But Jesus is not talking about a temporary feeling of happiness that relies on our circumstances, whether we've had a good day or had some minor victory or we're in good health or it's our birthday or the kids have behaved. It's not that sort of happiness. It's much deeper. It's a contentedness deep within us when we know it is well with our soul, as we sometimes sing. I was very excited last week when Andy brought that word about Father God wanting us to be happy. He really does want us to be happy. Do you believe that? Can you show it with your face? Yes, God wants us to be happy. But it's a deep joy that he's wanting us to have. To be blessed is to affirm qualities of spirituality that are present within us. These are what we have received in Christ, these Beatitudes. Our inheritance now and throughout eternity. They are our God-given joy to receive and to give, these Beatitudes. They make us happy. They can even make us laugh, although some of them are very serious. I found this quote by a man called Kenneth Branagh. It should come up on the screen for us next. And it, blessed, be blessed, is an overwhelming distinctive joy which accrues to us from our share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. Some of you want want to take a photo of that. That is just brilliant. I think that sums up this passage so well. It's an overwhelming distinctive joy which accrues to us, which grows within us from our share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. But let's have a look at these uh, Beatitudes, these four that we've got left now, uh, individually. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. To show mercy, to be merciful, has two meanings. The first has to do with compassion for people in need. And it's associated with feelings and action. We feel something, so we act in a particular way. In the story of the prodigal son, which you will all know really well, the father 
when he saw his son returning, had compassion on him and ran. So you see a feeling, he had compassion, led to an action. He ran and he hugged and he kissed his returning son. Jesus had compassion on the sick. That was the feeling that Jesus had. He had compassion on the sick. And what did he do? He healed the sick. That was his action. So this is very practical, isn't it? When we feel compassion for people, people who may be anxious or fearful or lonely or distressed or suffering in some way, that is a cue for us to act. Anything that causes that deep compassion to well up within us, then our reaction is to be Christ-like and show mercy. We, have may re- we may have resources in ourselves and gifts in ourselves to do that or as a community to act in a way that demonstrates our compassion and mercy. However, if we personally are unable to help that person, then it's our part to try and find somebody who can. Not all of us can feed the starving in Africa, but we can give to charities that do such things. Our merciful actions, motivated by love and compassion, bring relief and comfort and practical help and healing as we show mercy. As the church, we do this very practically through some of our projects, as you will know. Many of you also know that a number of our people in the church here work for the Beachy Head Chaplaincy. They literally show love and compassion to people who are literally on the edge. To respond to human need of compassion and action is at the centre of being merciful. But can I give a word of warning here? We need to guard against becoming compassion fatigue and even cynical. I've heard some Christians even be cynical towards the needy. There will always be need, of course. There will always be genuine need. There will also be fraudsters out there as well. But our response is really to hear what Father God is saying in this situation. Father, give me your heart for this person. Show me how to love this person in front of me. That's one of Heidi Baker's uh, things that she will keep on saying. Heidi Baker works uh, in Mozambique amongst the poor with her husband. And she, one of her sayings is, um, show me how to love the person in front of me. Show me how to love the person in front of me. And it doesn't matter if that backfires. Our duty is not to walk past on the other side because Jesus always had compassion and acted. So don't ignore those feelings of compassion within you. That's the Spirit of God stirring you to show love and mercy in this situation. The second meaning of mercy is related to the areas of forgiveness. Yes, that subject again. It's amazing how much this subject has come up in the last few months, hasn't it? To forgive and to be forgiven. In my experience, at times, it's easy to forgive if the action against you has been trivial and not affected you deeply. It's relatively easy to forgive, and we should forgive. Ephesians 4 and verse 26 says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which really means get it sorted out as quick as you can whether that's today or tomorrow. Practically, if you go to bed angry, you do not do yourself any good. It affects you physically 
and definitely spiritually. However, when we are hurt at a deep level, and even when, even worse, when that hurt has been constant over a long period of time, then to show mercy is extremely difficult. It can take time and effort and a commitment to work these things through. But unforgiveness is self-destructive. It will work itself out in your life, in bitterness, in anger, in seeking revenge. If we're not merciful, if we refuse to forgive, it will eventually cripple you. Like I've said many times before, it's like drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. But in reality, we only harm and destroy ourselves. That's how important forgiveness is. Jesus told a story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. A king was calling in the loans that he'd, been, that he'd made, and one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. In today's, that money, today's money, that would have been about five billion pounds. I reckon Mr. Johnson would love that. This was totally unpayable for a servant. The debt, he could never pay it in his lifetime. The king had pity and compassion and released him, forgave him the debt. That same servant didn't extend the same mercy to a fellow servant who owed him a comparatively small amount. The one who had received the gift of mercy did not show mercy. We have all received forgiveness for our debt to God our Father. We have indeed received mercy for an unpayable debt of our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. Our debt of forgiveness was unpayable debt by our own efforts. Jesus cleared that debt. Therefore, as we have received mercy and forgiveness from our Father, we will reflect this in the way we live. Being merciful is part of our new identity in Christ. You have the capacity to feel compassion and show mercy with your actions. You too can forgive as you have been forgiven. You can forgive even that huge injustices and receive his mercy. He, we can be merciful because Christ has been merciful to us. Amen. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The next slide shows us a second beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious people of the day, um, who were around Jesus, had all sorts of laws and rules to keep. They had particular emphasis upon cleanliness. They had rules about washing their hands, washing cups and plates and bowls and their tents and their homes and even public pools they had rules for. For them, ceremonial purity was concerned with the outer and external cleanliness. Let's read about that in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn that. Matthew 23 and verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may 
be clean. Jesus here is obviously talking about men's hearts. They were concentrating on external things that could be seen. Jesus is saying, don't forget your clean heart. Wash your hands. Yes, keep your toilet clean. Yes, but also make sure you've got a clean heart. External purity or cleanliness is not enough. It must be accompanied by inner purity and a pure heart. The Western understanding of heart is that of emotions. But Hebrews would have understood heart to mean all of our interior life. So our emotions, yes, our minds and our wills. What then is a pure heart? A pure heart has no hidden agenda, no hidden motives. What you see is what you get. Pure hearts are transparent, sincere and honest. A pure heart is free from falseness in relation with God and others. Not devious, no mixed motives, no deceit, not wanting to control or manipulate other people. How many of us can truly say we live like this? It's challenging, isn't it? But that was in, is within us in these Beatitudes. So the pure in heart are those who are transparent and open with a renewed mind, healthy and healed up emotions and a will that has no impure motives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is the promise. Those who are pure in heart will see God. This is not a physical seeing, not now anyway, as I can see you, but is a knowledge and a vision of God that is granted spiritually. It's a bit like seeing through clean spectacles instead of smudged ones. Psalm 24 asks the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who can see God, is the question. In Christ, we can ascend the hill and stand boldly in the Father's presence. We can have a clean and pure heart because Christ had a pure and clean heart and he has imputed that to us. Next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace is often thought to be the absence of war or conflict. And we saw that, didn't we, in our series on peace at the end of, of last year. But there will always be conflict in this life, in communities, in families, and indeed in the church. But we're to live at peace with each other. We're called to be peacemakers. Those who enable peace to happen. Those who can bring about peace. We're not to be called peace keepers. There's a bit of a difference. The UN peacekeepers, when there's trouble in a nation, will go in to a nation and they're, they're like the army that keep the warring factions apart. They enforce peace. It's not an, in, a, a, an enforcing peace like that. It's different. Peacekeeping is different. Some of you parents use the naughty step, don't you? Um, where if, you know, mayhem has broken out, the child has to go and sit on the naughty step and you separate the child. That is peacekeeping. Peacemaking is when they forgive each other, they come back together and they hug each other. We are, to be called, we are called to be peacemakers. Romans 12 says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace 
with all. We are to be bringers of peace. When we do this, we show our sonship. That's the promise in the Beatitude there. So when we know there is friction and unrest, you know what to do. Be a peacemaker. When we are bringers of peace, we are truly displaying our sonship. We are being sons and daughters in that situation. You can be a peacemaker because Christ is the ultimate peacemaker, making peace for all on the cross. The next beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now this is something to get your mind around. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've got a bit of a gear change here, haven't we, from peace to persecution. We live in an age where there is a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of this world. If we truly pursue kingdom righteousness, there will be clashes, even persecutions. 2 Timothy 3 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, wait for it, will be persecuted. What this means is expanded for us in verses 11 and 12, if you've got that in front of you. It goes from the general to the specific. It's like a repeat of this uh, last beatitude. So it's blessed. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a huge change in the words here. There's a change in the text here, if you look at it closely. If you look at the verses, the language changes from the third person to the second person. And what I mean by that is they change from they to you. If you look at all the other Beatitudes, they, they say they receive. They shall receive, they shall see, they shall be called, and so on. It changes to you here. You and you, your reward in this Beatitude. So it's very personalised. Notice also that the Beatitudes up to now have been like one-liners. They're like bullet points. But this one is expanded for us. Kenneth Bailey, one of the authors I read, likened it to a sandwich. sandwich. So I was very drawn to this man. So think of your favourite sandwich, all right? Now, for me, BLT is pretty much up there. You know, bacon, lettuce and tomato. So think... Sandwich, chunky bread, your, fa your favourite bread. I can see some of you looking a bit hungry already. Think of your favourite sandwich with multiple things in it. It's got to have multiple, okay, like a BLT. So, the top layer of the sandwich is like verse 11. Blessed are you when men or people revile you. Okay, that's the top layer of your chunky sandwich. The bottom layer is the end of verse 12 there, which says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you could read the opening and closing statements of this beatitude like this. Blessed are you when men revile you, for so they persecuted the prophets. But of course there's no promise in there, and there's always uh, a promise in the beatitudes. 
So Jesus says much more here. So think again of your, your BLT, your sandwich. We have the ingredients of the sandwich. So underneath the top layer, we have two negative phrases. And those negative phrases are, they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. So that's some of the filling. Then the bottom layer, on the top of the bottom layer, if you like, you're following me with this. Great. On the top of the bottom floor, we have two positive phrases, which are rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So the opening and closing statements of this chunky bread and the negative and positive statements are like the tomato and the lettuce leaf. And here we have it in the middle. There's the reference to Jesus. It's on my account. Jesus is right there in the middle. Jesus introduces himself in this beatitude which is totally different from the other Beatitudes. Jesus mentions himself here and none, and none of the others. This Beatitude is amplified and expanded like none of the others. Why is this? Why did Jesus say this? Well, John Stott said, suffering is the true badge of discipleship. This clearly shows us that we are a different people because, this, because of this, we may be called to suffer persecution, maybe called to suffer rejection and evil. But our reaction is very different. There will be those who attack us, and the natural reaction is to seek revenge or at least to hit back hard. Jesus' ministry brought division in his day. People reacted against him. The gospel and the kingdom brings that division and reaction. There will always be antagonism towards us as Christians on account of Jesus. But our reactions are so different. When we are squeezed, things are different. So Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. That's hard, isn't it? Is that possible when we are persecuted? In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of the early church apostles being arrested and put in jail for preaching the gospel. An angel came during the night and opened up the doors and they walked out and the next day they were preaching again. They were re-arrested and interrogated. Then they were flogged with a leather strap released and charged not to speak again. What was their response? You can read it in there in Acts 5. They rejoiced. They saw this as their mark of discipleship, an honour to suffer for Jesus and the gospel. That's incredible, isn't it? David Pawson, I remember hearing him years ago speaking about persecution, and he said he would rather prepare God's people for persecution than not to. If we have to suffer persecution, we are called to rejoice and be glad. Why? Because Jesus is there with those who are persecuted in miraculous ways. He will be there in the middle of it all. He is the middle of the sandwich of persecution. Christ understood persecution because he received the worst persecution that's ever been 
invented on the cross. And as Jesus' disciples, we are called to deny ourselves and take up our own personal cross. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We indeed must pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters that they will experience a unique strengthening in their hour of desperation. I take a Christian monthly newspaper and they have um, little reports in it of what's happened around the world. It's amazing how many uh, religious people and particularly Christians are persecuted. Do you know, I'm sure... People break under persecution and torture. But their promise is that Jesus is with them. I can't imagine what that looks like, but it must be incredible. It reminded me of that fourth man in the fiery furnace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Three were thrown in the furnace, but four were seen. The persecuted have a reward The verse here tells us it's a great reward. James in his epistle also speaks of it as a crown of life for those who are persecuted. So even if our minds and our bodies are broken, the spirit of the person will be alive and rejoice. The believers who lose on earth will gain a great reward in heaven. Tim Keller Speaking about Job, who suffered in horrific ways, it weren't persecution, but the principle is here, the same. Listen to this. He said, God hates evil and permits into Job's life only the evil that will completely defeat Satan's intention. If we have to suffer, if we're called to suffer persecution, God will completely defeat Satan's intention as an outcome. Serious stuff isn't it? I just want to lighten the feeling at the moment. But um, it's important that we consider these things because Jesus spoke about these things. So in conclusion, remember the Beatitudes are not different qualities in different people, but they are blessings all of us have as Jesus' disciples. It's not a case of some of you being good at meekness and some of you having a pure heart and some of you being peacemakers. No, all the Beatitudes are within us. We are meek, merciful, poor in spirit, pure in heart, mourners, hungry for righteousness, peacemakers and persecuted. We receive all of those. They're not for some super elite Christians. We are all blessed in the same way because we're blessed with them in Christ Jesus. Just want to conclude by reading the passage tying it together and it links with what um, Rob brought earlier in the, the worship as well. 2 Corinthians and chapter 4 and verse 7 to 11. Just listen to these fantastic words. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clays. We have the treasure of the life of Christ within us. We have the treasure of the Holy Spirit within us. We have the treasure of the Beatitudes within us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. 
perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. Let's uh, pray together. have a moment of quiet. Just think of a situation that you may be in at the moment which uh, just needs maybe mercy to be poured out in it or situation that you need to be a peacemaker in or one that you need to show humility in or meekness or maybe it's a longing, a mourning for something. Well, in Christ Jesus, you are blessed with that attribute. You are able to be a peacemaker. You are able to be humble in that situation. You are able to be meek. You are able to be merciful and forgive. You're able to be merciful and show compassion. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I thank you that you have blessed us. You want us to be happy. You want us to rejoice. You want us to be truly blessed with these attributes of these beatitudes. Father, help us to live these out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.